The Career Establishment's Talent Talk Asia podcast is brought to you in partnership with Vincere, the all-in-one CRM for ambitious recruitment businesses. Founded by Asia-based recruiters back in 2012, over a thousand recruitment companies choose Vincere to accelerate their growth. Whether your business is contract, temp, executive search or perm, if you're looking for a new breed of tech partner, talk to Vincere. Visit vincere.com io forward slash talent talk asia for an exclusive offer for all listeners of this podcast hi i'm andrea ross your host and in this series we feature some of the most successful talents from across the region to discuss the forces opportunities and challenges that are shaping the corporate landscape if you're keen to be a guest on the show then please reach out My name is Andrea Ross, your host for Talent Talk Asia and founder of The Career Establishment, a team building, leadership development and e-learning company. I'm joined for an awe-inspiring exclusive conversation with Alina Salakova, Regional Director at S3, based in Singapore. With two degrees, a PhD in sociology under her belt and 11 years climbing the ranks of recruitment in Moscow, San Francisco and more recently Singapore, it's little wonder this people developer has caused quite a stir in Asia. Alina spent five years with Michael Page in leadership positions in Moscow before moving to ADECO. In 2016, she relocated to Singapore to join Hudson as their regional director before moving recently in January 2020 to S3. Alina, how are you today? I'm very good. How are you, Andrea? Yeah, I'm very, very well. So we're, we're obviously, we're Zooming as always. We're not quite back to that point where we could probably record it in a, in a room together. Otherwise, we'd have to wear those ridiculous masks, which won't particularly be great for our audio for, for today. So now I'm really keen to know a little bit more about you before we sort of get into your career history. So you're originally from Moscow, which I That's think, correct. Yeah, so I think you're the first one on our show from Moscow. That's quite exciting. <laughs> talk me through what it was, you know, talk me through what it was, what it was like growing up in Moscow. Um, it's a very good question, honestly, uh, because I think um, growing up in Russia, because originally I was born in a very small city next to Moscow, but I kind of spent uh, the majority of my life there. Um, okay. Moscow is a um, cosmopolitan city, obviously, mm. right? It's 20 million uh, population. Uh, it's uh, full of uh, very diverse um, like people out there. Um, it's, it's very different. We always say in Russia, Moscow is not Russia and Russia is not Moscow. Uh, oh, really? It, yeah, it's, it's kind of a very different city uh, from all the, um, all the assumptions people might have about my country. Um, and uh, it's more your London or New York or Tokyo. Um, and honestly, if you ask me uh, one of the best city on the planet, uh, me not living in Russia for so many years now would still say that Moscow is one of the best city. Really? Um, I'm, I, I've got to, I've got to say, I am a little bit surprised by that because I've, I've been watching a few documentaries on Russia, maybe, and they are to, granted a few years old, and uh, there's some pretty interesting topics, and I think probably a little bit too X-rated for this podcast. But so I'm really intrigued to to hear that that 
you felt that it was a cosmo cosmopolitan city, or I get that impression that it's um, quite restricted to, to be who you want to be or say what you want to say. So that that's quite interesting. Uh, I would say yes and no. Um, maybe because, first of all, our city is such a, uh, such a huge city, and obviously everyone uh, can find their own um, network there. You would have... Uh, uh, a lot of very young uh, people, like uh, generation who are actually kind of very liberal, uh, thinking okay. outside of the box, uh, all the all the rights, even again, that's not maybe the, the, the political topic for our podcast today, but all that kind of population you would only find in Moscow, mostly. Right. Um, people with um, um, very um, European or just Western uh, type of thinking as well as um, it's a place uh, which is full of uh, different types of art. Uh, I'm a big, uh, big uh, uh, on art and you can find all types of art in Moscow from like your classical one up to your modern one. The, the, the um, artists that are Russian, not that, that is it artists, is it Russian artists that you're talking about then or just a mixture of people that go there and they sell their art there? Uh, I would say mixture, of course, again, the majority would be still Russian, uh, right. but uh, still very mixture. All the, uh, all the global exhibitions will also take place there. I mean, people okay. are very, very hungry for that. Uh, and yeah, I'm big on the theater and in Moscow, I don't know how many even theaters you have. It's like uh, people can go every night for a different theater. Wow, theaters. okay. It's a bit like <laughs> London. Yeah. And what, so, what, so what would you say you miss most about Russia? People. Uh, definitely. Uh, in what way? Um, very friendly. Uh, very, very open. Very sincere and genuine. Um, they, they, they truly care. Um, they actually. Um, also, we have a saying uh, in, in Russia that if you have uh, if you have a friend, that's for life, uh, and you can actually rely on people. No matter like it's two a.m. in the morning and you need help, you can always uh, like call your friends and they will be there no matter where you are. Uh, also, business. I think I, I would say from the business perspective, um, I do miss that vibe uh, because um, that's very similar. Maybe I would only compare, I never worked in London or uh, it's hard for me to compare to London, okay. but I would compare yeah. to New York because uh, I had several assignments there. Um, and uh, Moscow never sleeps. I mean, the same as business. Um, uh, the decisions are taken very fast. There are um, a lot of different projects are happening at the same time. Uh, a lot of global HQs are there. Um, and you kind of have a diversity of choice, depends what you want and how you want to build a career. Um, compare again to the entire country where it's very pro-Russian. That's why Moscow yeah. is not Russia. Yeah. Right. Okay. Th that that kind of explains it a little bit. So um, I'm I'm quite intrigued by your academic achievements. Um, you're well. You're obviously very academic. You've got two degrees and a PhD in sociology, which I, again, not sure I've met a recruitment leader with a PhD, let alone in sociology. So what led you to take up that those particular courses and then lead you onto that path of recruitment? Very good question. Um, um, I'm actually still quite upset that it's not really common in our industry because I believe it's important yeah. <laughs> in our industry. Um, I would say um, that, gets, that gets back to the to the roots itself. Um, 
in Russia, it's actually very similar in a way to China. Or, or it's something which is very, very traditional. Uh, people are very academic, and that's kind of what um, you, when when your parents are um, like parenting you um, from the childhood, it's something what you in a way must achieve. That's not uh, something you choose. Right. Um, you kind of are. Um, that's how you set up yourself for uh, for the career, for the future, for the for the development. Right. Um, that's why I would say in Russia. Again, I'm not Wikipedia, but I believe around 80% of all population they actually have a master's degree. That's just very okay. very common. Uh, so is that paid for then by the state, or is that something you that's have? Correct. To, right. That's okay. Correct. Which would probably it, explain a few things. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. It, it's absolutely free. Of course, you can have your private schools, but still, I mean, at the end of the day, uh, you can have an access for very good uh, state universities for free uh, okay. if you pass the exams. Um, that's why, yeah, uh, my, my first education is in public relations, in marketing. Uh, ah. uh, um, I think um, it's all about um, me seeing myself um, advertising or promoting uh Big leaders, mostly in politics. I, I was actually very keen um, to to start my career in a political uh, public relations sphere, mostly, and that's where um, uh, my second education came in, kind of uh, in line as well, because um, I applied to um, to the, to the law school uh, on my second year or my first master degree, um, and. Um, yeah, I was very passionate about the academics. I was best in class uh, from, honestly, the first grade. Um, that's also very, very um, common in Russia. You need to be the first, like you need to be a pioneer. The funny thing, right, uh, even with a uh, vaccine right now, I don't think, uh, again... I yeah, hope. where's Russia? Where's Russia with the vaccine, <laughs> Alina? Like, come on. <laughs> Nothing's going to happen with me after that podcast, but... That's all about like mentality. Uh, they need to be the first. Uh, doesn't matter what's happening. Um, and the same with academics. Like uh, uh, you need to be the first in your class and the first in your uni. Blah blah blah. And uh, for the PhD again, uh, I had a dream. Uh, I wanted to be a professor because um, uh, I always uh, like to do um, a lot of speeches or doing some seminars, even right. being back to the university. And I thought that if you actually um, get the PhD, um, you, you can become a professor and then um, teach, um, teach the students there and kind of develop yourself uh, in this area. However, as we all know, uh, I spent uh, more than uh, 10 years now in recruitment uh, and never, ever practiced uh, uh, being, a, being a professor in the university. And how it happened, um, I, I spent four plus years in marketing initially, uh, and uh, that's where I saw in a way my career. Um, however, after four years, I realized that marketing is a very process-driven um, function. You do a lot of things. Uh, you're trying to push for uh, ROI for your business leaders, but at the end of the day, you're still support, and yeah. you are not leading not from the, the front. front. Mm. Um, no, you are not kind of uh, pushing the business forward, uh, and um, that's more about my personality. Um, and um, that's how I ended up being in recruitment. I had an interview with Michael Page uh, as a marketing professional, and they proposed me to join the recruitment. And here we go, still there. I know that is definitely a little bit of a, a different career route, isn't it? PhD in sociology, then go and join Michael Page. 
Um, so you spent five years with Michael Page. So run, run me through, you know, what that looked like then in the early days in terms of the areas you, you focused on to then bring me up to bring me up to speed after those five years. Okay, um, I can talk for ages about Paige because I'm still very grateful uh, <laughs> to, for, for everything I went through there. Um, I started as a consultant in sales and marketing, mostly focusing on marketing, obviously, as that's the uh, DNA of the business, hire people from the business uh, in the market they recruit. And um, I grew quite quickly, um, senior consultant and managing consultant, etc. This is in Moscow, right? This is in Moscow. Yeah, okay. It was was in Moscow. It was straight after the GFC, global GFC, but actually uh, uh, Russia was hit only back to 2009. That's why uh, the time I joined recruitment, it was purely like GFC in Russia. Every company uh, was cutting uh, cutting off the costs and the people paid off. Uh, There were no jobs uh, on the market, but I think it actually helped me because I didn't know what uh, the good market was uh, yeah. before. Yeah. And uh, That's the best, I did better best way around, actually, isn't it? Yeah. In yeah. a way, like everyone was so down. I, I remember still back to Michael Page Moscow office. They just, um, they just uh, fired like a lot of stuff. And I joined, I think it was only 12 of us that time. And all my colleagues, they were like, oh my gosh, it's impossible to make money on this market. No one is hiring, et cetera, et cetera. Oh, I but find that really interesting. Yeah, yeah. Well, you wouldn't have known any different, right? So it was kind of, well, you know, that, that's what happens. Yeah. For me, it was the same. And uh, yeah, that's why I was just uh, calling every day, trying to get some jobs and trying to place all the good candidates whom I, uh, whom I met. I still remember my first placement was 300 euros. There was the deal value. I will never forget. Nice, uh, very nice. <laughs> but you know, still in my heart, uh, like to compare, um, like the average fee that time back to Page Moscow maybe was ten thousand uh, euros. Uh, that was the average fee, and mine wow. was three hundred euros. But I'm still so proud of this place. Jeez, wow, that that cool, oh, blimey, that is a good one. I bet you're hoping for those every quarter. <laughs> so you start so you so you went in as a consultant you progressed up to senior consultant so what what sort of got you onto that path of actually leading then what motivated you to move into that honestly I didn't want to manage people that time because no. uh by the time um I got promoted to senior consultant I I earned good money I managed already to build my talent pools I managed to build my clientele Everything was finally working as it's supposed to be when you're a successful consultant. Uh, I managed to uh, start uh, working a little bit less <laughs> in terms of the right. hours. Right. Everything you got into a bit of a rhythm. Yeah. On the right trajectory, you know. Yeah. And uh, that's where the, the regional managing director at that time, um, uh, we had some restructuring in the business. And uh, he invited me and he said that I want you to start managing two of your colleagues which I was absolutely against. I was like, they're my peers. We work together. We are like one team. Uh, but I and, felt good. Uh, <laughs> I don't want to. Uh, but he was quite uh, persistent. Um, I wouldn't say he gave me any, um, any option. Uh, he right. just said, <laughs> Forced on you. You are doing that already naturally. You are helping them. You're coaching them. Um, I, I just proposed to pay you uh, for that. And I was like, okay, that's kind of 
making sense. Uh, and <laughs> what, the bit about the bit about getting paid for it. Yeah, <laughs> got a little bit more interested then. <laughs> and that's all. And I uh, I took over my colleagues, uh, and then and then yes, and then uh, more colleagues, more colleagues, <laughs> new teams. Yeah. So what was your what was your impression of management then in those early days? I mean, what was it that you you found you found a challenge at that stage of your career? You know, I still remember out of these two colleagues uh, whom I took over, um, they first of all they were both uh, elder than me, much more experienced than me, uh, and of course I, I looked up to them. You know, I mean, I'm very uh, I'm very down to earth person still uh, now, and that time obviously I was the same. And one of the guy, um, he was not performing really well. Mm, and uh, I was asked to exit him, which is normally happen in a lot of businesses. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but I thought that I just, I, I just managed him for like a month. Uh, I didn't give chance to myself to help him. Um, we're just kind of in the beginning of our journey together. And I need to, I need to fight for him. And that's what I've done. I kind of uh, bought one month uh, from my management, uh, tried to turn him around. God, that's and... not an awful long time, though, is it, to turn <laughs> someone around? Jeez. <laughs> I know. Tell me. Uh, and I still remember sleepless nights in the office. That time we didn't have any flexibility working from home. That's why I was in the office every day when everyone uh, would leave. And I was just checking everything he was doing to identify the core issue mm -hmm. because he was amazing on the phone. Um, he had bright personality, great communicator, but something was definitely lacking. Yeah, yeah. And uh, when I realized that um, uh, very simple uh, criteria for recruitment, uh, the, the ratio uh, was lacking for him. He was doing a lot of uh, quantity activities, but the quality was not there. Ah, okay. Uh, and um, I just Spray and I was yeah. very, very honest. And I said, look, Alex, um, that's what we're going to do together. Uh, either we do it together and I'm here to help you. Mm -hmm. uh, or we don't do. I mean, at the end of the day, that's your, that's your decision. Mm -hmm. um, and um, yeah, and he agreed. And after one month, uh, I think we managed to turn a lot of things around. After like this uh, month, he became a top team maker for, for our office and the top team maker for the region. And I was really proud of um, his performance and he became a manager, blah, blah, blah. But yeah, I mean, um, that was my first experience in leading someone in recruitment. Mm -hmm. And um, till now, I believe the most important, you need to lead from uh, the front, no mm -hmm. matter what kind of role um, you have in your business. Uh, you need to show people uh, the empathy on a daily basis. Uh, you actually need to care what's happening with them, mm -hmm. um, and you need to fight for them. They need to feel that they have the that you have their back. Uh, and uh, as soon as people buy into that and they they know that you live and breathe, you walk the talk. Yeah, I think uh, it's, I've, I've just been I've been listening to a I couldn't tell you what the name of the audio audio book is now because I was listening it on the MIT with my husband this morning, and it was all about managers and how important managers are for a team. It doesn't matter how great an organization is. If you're sitting in a team and that leader is just not caring, inspiring, challenging, stretching, then the person is just going to leave, right? It doesn't matter how great that organization is. Um, it is just so much emphasis on how, you know, that that manager really has to care. And some people manage and actually they don't care. <laughs> 
And some people genuinely can overcare, right? There's sort of different levels of it, overcare and defend people and actually, you know, they're, they're managing people that aren't good. So when you're, saying, when you're saying you care about people, what does that actually look like for you as a leader? I think the most important, you need to know the key motivational drivers of your staff. Mm-hmm. If you don't know three things, uh, uh, what drive them, you're a bad leader for me straight away. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, actually, these drivers uh, could be professional and personal as well. Mm-hmm. You need yeah. to know these yeah. are two areas, uh, understand, and uh, um, again, show the empathy towards that. Um, yeah. That's one. As soon as you know what uh, drives uh, your people, uh, then you need to act towards that. I, I, I'm not saying you need to spoon feed them. I'm not saying you need to do work for them, Mm -hmm. but your role as a leader is to guide them through the journey Mm -hmm. to assure that what drives them, they actually, uh, they actually can uh, have in the organization you work together. Yeah. And it might, uh, it might be very hard to achieve. You might go through a lot of obstacles and that's fine. Uh, but um, uh, you need to be honest through this journey and explaining and giving the feedback what is working and what is not working. Mm-hmm. Again, as soon as uh, you you stay very authentic uh, and you stay very transparent, that first of all, you do remember what they want to achieve and you're here to help. But at the same time, you are very demanding uh, and it's not just your kind of uh, giving them uh, things for free, because at the end of the day, you yeah. don't help them if you kind of, um, as I said, spoon feed them. Uh, and then you celebrate the success together. Mm-hmm. That's for me uh, what caring means. Because it's that two-way process, right? It's, it isn't just the organizational's goals or objectives. It's it's personal, it's team, it's organizational it's a mixture and just trying to get those aligned, right? Is that is it can be can be the tricky part. So you sp- um, no, you, you were at Michael Page for a number of years, and then you left at the end of two thousand and fourteen to join a deco. So and that was quite a short stint. So talk me through that. Talk me through the motivations of that. First of all, I would not leave Michael Page. Let's start from that. And I want all the Michael Page folks out there to say like, hi. <laughs> yeah, to hear that. Yeah, uh, I, again, I can appreciate uh, that. Uh, part of my heart is still with them with all the pros and cons this company like is famous about but they taught me recruitment and I'm very grateful uh, the reason I uh, joined ADECO uh, was when I came back from the US which was uh, because of the personal reasons uh, I actually planned to uh, rejoin Michael Page again and that was definitely my plan uh, but by that time Michael Page decided to exit Russia as a country got it and obviously, me being a director, it was just, it, it didn't make any sense for me to rejoin for three months uh, for the closure. Um, it was end of the world. I still remember 2015, wow. me, I was like, I was shocked. Uh, again, all my, all my friends, all my legacy, all my clients, everything was uh, back to page. Um, and I think it was a very, very important uh, professional as well. Um, step for my development because it actually taught me a lot how you can still be strong stay calm and actually again overcome and overcome uh the the things which you face uh on the way 
And uh, ADECO was the business uh, which planned to do the transition from 180 degree consultants into 360 degree consultants that time back to uh, back to Russia. Okay. And uh, they decided to hire a lot of folks from Michael Beach. Uh, and which which was smart. That, which is smart, right? If they were shutting down, perfect. <laughs> in a way, the, the pitch to me was uh, very simple. Uh, look, we need you. Uh, you come, you manage almost the same people you were managing one year before. Uh, make that work uh, for them uh, in Moscow and St. Petersburg, and then uh, roll this out through the entire country. Um, and nice. uh, uh, yeah, it, it was very, very interesting experience. First of all, it was my first regional experience. I was traveling okay. as hell. Uh, like seventy percent of my time, I was I was outside of Moscow. Uh, my wife was not really happy about that. <laughs> <laughs> Never get I to see my you. Friends. Yes. Uh, when you say regional, but, when you say regional, what, what what area of coverage then? It was from uh, St. Petersburg to Vladivostok. It was nine branches. Wow. Gosh. And it's what? It's 10, uh, 10 hours uh, time difference, 10 hours uh, time zones, yeah. And, and, with the, and with the DECA, they've got all different brands, right? It's not just a DECA. So were you dealing with different brands? Or that's, yes, or that? I was dealing with different brands. Ooh, uh, initially, it was only a DECA uh, right. and a DECA permanent. Then it was a DECA temp, uh, temp as well. Uh, then I was involved in Lehecht Harrison, which is their uh, talent management arm. Yeah. Uh, and then the last kind of project uh, which we uh, started to uh, to kick off uh, was uh, launching Pantoon. But we plan um, not to launch Pantoon as a brand, as a separate brand. We just decided to launch the RPO under ADECO. Okay. Uh, because again, we thought that maybe for uh, for Russian market it was um, it was better to keep that under ADECO uh, umbrella. Long story short, uh, grateful to that experience because uh, what Adeka taught me, uh, it's more the client piece. Yeah, okay. And what, what I mean by that, uh, uh, Adeka has that time had uh, nine, 96 different brands uh, under Adeka umbrella. Now I know that it's less, but that time it was very, <laughs> very <laughs> brand company. And, um, uh, but their key priority um, is um, just the, the, the client portfolio. And the way they, they look at that is your uh, Pareto principle, 20% uh, of their customers on a global level actually generate 80% of their revenue for all the brands. Wow. They're really trying to leverage the client uh, among all the brands they yeah, have. Yeah, of course. That's, that's exactly what and, we should be doing. It. Yeah. Uh, I think that uh, more uh, sophisticated, more... Um, deep kind of involvement into the client itself, mm -hmm. uh, how you acquire a big account and how you actually grow your service together with the client. Um, that was a great eye-opener for me. Yeah. I was very, very grateful uh, mm. for that experience. And um, again, uh, maybe I would not leave ADECO because uh, um, they proposed me to move to Asia. But that time... Uh, that was an offer to move to Hong Kong. Uh, and, Everyone um, loves Hong Kong. Yeah, a lot of people love it, right? Uh, but I kind of like travel there. You're not sure. I don't know. <laughs> I would say uh, the, the city didn't impress me uh, during 24 hours. Maybe I suppose... 24 hours, come on. <laughs> I can anywhere impress you in 24 hours. 
<laughs> and, yeah, and uh, I was like, okay, maybe, um, but that's how, yeah, and that's how Hudson appeared uh, in my life. So uh, before we get onto the Hudson bit, I'd like to just go back one little bit because I, sure. I know that you worked in San Francisco, you did a little bit of New York, and was there someone else, somewhere else that I missed? No, no, right? no, no. Those two, right? Yeah. So that was with that was with Michael Page. That's correct. So yeah. what sort of prompted you to go and do an overseas um, uh, stint with Michael Page? And what were you doing there? What were your experiences? What were your takeaways? Uh, first of all, I always wanted to uh, work overseas. Uh, that was kind of ultimate goal I had. Oh, was it? Okay. Uh, um, that's one. The second one, um, I believe uh, me being very liberal, uh, even I love my country, uh, but uh, a lot of things which is uh, happening. I love the country, but I don't like the government. That's why a lot of things yeah. which were happening yeah, from the government uh, mm -hmm. level maybe were not in line with my values. Mm -hmm. um, and um, we kind of had these discussions uh, many times with Paige. Uh, they didn't want me to leave because obviously I was managing very successful business uh, back to Moscow. But at the same time, they realized that they couldn't keep me anymore. Right. That uh, if it's not them, I would still leave the country. And uh, the opportunity um, uh, came from the U.S. Honestly, that time I didn't plan to move to the U.S. Uh, I was more thinking about like Europe, a little bit closer mm -hmm. to, um, to Russia. Um, but they, at that time, uh, Page invested a lot of money into the U.S. market. Uh, they, they were all like uh, on the edge of like scaling these operations, uh, growing the headcount, uh, growing the revenue, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, they proposed me to move to San Francisco um, and uh, do the transition with the previous director for this office to take up his role because he was moving to New York. Got it. And uh, yeah, I mean, um, that so was, was to look after the whole office then. That was to look yeah. after San Francisco. So, so how, how big was that office? What was it looking like? Office up? was really small. Uh, just to give you uh, the comparison, uh, in Sage Moscow, I was responsible for like 40 odd people. Right. And uh, the earners what? or total? No, 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 fee owners. Fee, uh, fee earners, yeah, okay. And I think around, uh, I think around, uh, what, four teams? maybe a 14 okay That's and still uh, a fairly big office uh yeah and yep. uh in san francisco it was by the time i landed it was 12 it was very very tiny oh office. gosh okay and um it, that was funny and interesting i believe uh, another thing which uh, gave me some professional knowledge because when i landed it was the sanction year a uh, sanctioned year uh, and uh, Russia was a pure outsider uh, right. on, the, on the global map. And um, I remember I entered the office with a lot of uh, different goodies from, from Russia as a, as a, as a gift to, to the staff. And uh, I was introduced by our regional MD as like, guys, that's your, that's your new director. Uh, she's our star from, uh, from Russia. Uh, she's Russian female, quite young. And they looked at me like that. Seriously? <laughs> <laughs> she had a lot, lot of convincing to do <laughs> oh yes a lot of convincing but you know uh, what was interesting there I think the market was so different um, and actually very very different even to Asia still because in what way I remember it was what 2014 right and uh, I came from your in a way old school environment where mm -hmm. 
people are on the phone 24 7 yeah closing the deal i don't know um ringing the gong making money yeah and i and i found myself in a very very quiet place where people were only typing only typing only texted and i uh, was it really and i remember the first week i was like guys let's jump on the on the phone let's call clients let's call candidates i thought you were a bit alien and they were like okay try and honestly why was that though yeah why was that was that an age thing were they doing more senior search were they concentrating on different things like what was the reason for that nope that's the market because after one week five days eight hours every day I was personally calling, okay? I was calling candidates and clients eight hours every day, and I was only leaving voicemails. That's all. No one picked up the phone. No. Even one individual on Friday when my guys told me, "Uh, do you want to have a pint of beer? I'm like, yeah, why not? We, We went downstairs, and they were like, now you understand why we are not calling? I'm like, yeah. What, what talk me through that why aren't people picking up the phone you know um in, in general i would say uh silicon valley uh of course is a very different um very different kind of um alien in the okay. entire kind okay. of recruitment field it's a very specific it's a very geeky uh, and right. people are so they're innovating they during the day they're innovating yeah. they're thinking <laughs> they haven't got time to be answering phones and they they, right. they 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 don't like to talk on the phone. Uh, they don't like to actually uh, uh, being contradicted uh, on the phone because it's a very direct communication. Uh, they need to have time to think before they answer you. Um, they are very very uh, tired of millions of different telemarketing calls. That's right. why they just, um, switch off it. They they use it voicemails and they maybe call you back, but maybe means again one out of one thousand maybe will call you back and even uh in linkedin uh it's not the same because through linkedin how we do that right andrea i mean you've been in this industry for so many years Mm. i mean i'm in this industry my people in in this industry you you kind of send the invitation to the person you invite to connect you send nice message yeah and nevertheless uh you you get reply back right except if i'm messaging you where you didn't reply me back You just caught me. <laughs> you walked right into that. You totally walked into it. It's all, you see my uh, best... Um, uh, You're going to edit that one out, aren't you? West Coast. Uh, um, <laughs> but the thing is, uh, you people would never reply you on LinkedIn in West Coast if they are not introduced to you by someone else. Oh, so you've got a name drop. You've got to say your name was given to me by... There's got to be a connection. It can't just be... It just can't be an intro from nowhere. Gosh, that's hard work. So you've got to be at a point then where you're quite connected. It must take you quite a while to get to that point then where you can then start to name drop. In a way, Gosh, that's, that's the only option because that's the only that's the only way how you can make business. Uh, at least what I kind of um, identified for myself. Uh, of course, you try to leverage through all the um, anyhow common groups. Uh, then right. you use your then you use your Russian roots, then you use your Slovenian roots, any roots you can right. use. So you're using everything just to get that, that that contact. So would you say then that people cu- that recruiters coming out of San Francisco or out of some areas of the US, they're trying to assimilate into other markets like Asia or Europe, they would probably struggle a little bit on the recruitment side. Yeah. 
Absolutely. Gosh, that's Absolutely. just... That is, I, I didn't know that. That's quite interesting. So how long were you in San Francisco for then? N- not, a, not a long period of time. I would say a year. Okay. Uh, and uh, the why plan was... That, was why, why was yeah, that I mean, so short? Uh, I would maybe stay another year in San Francisco uh, and then ask for, uh, for the relocation to New York because, again, for me, New York is much more straightforward there is a uh, there is a potential demand. You try to yeah, grab it, yeah. close it. It's a business, not a very laid back environment. Um, but uh, yeah, uh, I had some personal issues. My dad got sick, and I I was yeah thinking, what should I do? And obviously, with eleven hours difference, and uh, really really uh, being so far from uh, from my homeland, it was impossible to manage and help my family. That's why um, we took a decision as a family that we will moved back uh, they proposed me to take uh, maybe three months uh, leave uh, i was not sure that i will manage that during the three months time which i finally didn't manage in uh, in three months and the, and the deal was that i'm moving back to make page russia but yeah they decided to exit but that was decided to exit. So, so it was at your hands a little bit wasn't it so you went to hong kong you were planning to go and work for a, a deco a deco a deco again right okay it's in the hong kong and then something changed. Something happened. You didn't. You didn't sign up with uh, Deco. Um, so talk. Talk me through that. I did not. Uh, even um, I think the the leadership team uh, in uh, APAC uh, um, was really great. Honestly, in Deco, they were almost all of them were ex page people that time, and uh, either they knew me or I knew of them or they knew of me. That's why we kind of had a lot of things in common. Uh, but they wanted me to um, take up the role as a country manager for Spring. And that's where they, they invested a lot of money uh, in the region to kind of um, separate uh, a DECA permanent business and create this Spring as a separate brand, which why I was still hesitating a little bit. Um, and let, let's see how it's going to end up now. But now I know that they merged back. Um, and um, yeah, on the way back to the airport, full of thoughts. What should I do? Should I accept? Not accept? Um, actually, honestly, like in like uh, like a magic, I've met uh, the MD for Hudson. She is no longer in the business, but that time she was MD for Hudson Asia, uh, and she was also ex-page. It's Talika uh, talking about. Uh, Talika. Yeah, I just did a podcast with Garrett, and she was mentioned as well. Talika's going to start yeah. feeling very popular at the moment. She's mentioned in two <laughs> podcasts. <laughs> Uh, yeah, and she was this uh, inspirational female leader back to page. Uh, of course, again, um, uh, I knew of her a lot. Uh, and when we met, um, I don't know, still, I don't know how, but she managed to convince me during two hours uh, that I, I should forget about everything and just think about Hudson. And uh, that's how I ended up being in Singapore with Hudson. There we go. That was the that was the his, history of it all. So you joined Hudson as their country manager, right, for Singapore. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, obviously they've had a bit of a turbulent time. I've had the same conversation with Neil Dye, Neil Dyble on the last podcast that you know they've had a bit of a bit of turnover in terms of you know the running of that business. So did you have concerns? Were you excited? You know, talk me through kind of you know w- you know what your thoughts were when you first walked into that business. Um, first of all. Tulika was, and I believe is, a very great salesperson. Right. Uh, that's why 
she uh, she sold me a dream and uh, I kind of bought into this dream. Um, when uh, I joined the business, um, a lot of things uh, really required restructuring that time. And it was not about, uh, I would say it was not about market. It was not about clients. It was not about the, um, uh, the strategy. It, it was um, more about the people in the business because it was clear straight away when I just kind of entered that out of people whom I see right now, half of them would not be here by the end of the year. And uh, uh, straight away, I realized that it's very, very important to invest a lot of time on building the pipeline of talents. The problem was uh, that time the brand of Hudson as the employer employment brand was damaged very badly on the market in Singapore. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And honestly, like great consultants, they didn't want to talk to Hudson. Mm -hmm. I still remember again, uh, personally calling in mailing, uh, I don't know how much and how yeah. uh, what what I have done trying just to kind of bring the volume and I didn't have any TA or anything right. uh, helping me on that. No, no, no. It was very, very hands-on approach trying just to convince our uh, people to talk to us. Um, but it was very challenging, honestly. So what it was, so what was your story then? What was the what was the compelling story to join you then when you were reaching out to, to recruiters at that point? Um, honestly, uh, I was selling, uh, on, uh, myself as a leader. Mm -hmm. I was selling on the, um, Hudson initial story in the country, because obviously mm -hmm. they were one of the first yeah. and they were extremely successful. Mm -hmm. I was using the stories of, uh, some legends like Caroline Poe and others. Yeah, she's, uh, she's amazing. She's one of my main competitors. She was awesome. She's an awesome lady. And uh, that's where uh, I use the stories about, obviously, the uh, amazing database. And uh, honestly, again, clients, uh, even they were quite disappointed with the uh, maybe last couple of years service they were getting. But they were, they were very, very familiar with the brand still. Mm -hmm. Like uh, yeah. during my uh, three and a half years in Hudson, I would say I never experienced talking to any client who would not heard of Hudson before right, they all right. yeah and I think it was That's very uh, hmm. great selling story especially to the folks from their smaller firms yeah. uh, uh, and uh, but honestly still it, it was not easy uh, and I think what helped me to succeed was managed to attract a uh, couple of leaders and as soon as I attracted the, the leaders already uh, and uh, started starting building the uh, the leadership team, mm -hmm. uh, that was much easier already because obviously I was still new for the market. And yeah. a lot of people wished me to fail. That's for sure. They were all saying, oh, another... Who, who's we? Who's, who's we? Who's oh, that oh, oh. we? Come on. Come on, Alina, dish the dirt. Uh, no, I'm telling you, Andrea, that was the, that, that was the reality because... Uh, so many, and I'm sure again, I think I heard um, some of your uh, podcasts before and uh, you were referring to Hudson and that was the reality. The previous country managers, they were on their, uh, on their job for less than two years. Yeah. Some of them one year. It was a lot of turnover. Yeah, it was. It was a revolving and, door. Yeah. 
and more or less <laughs> there was uh, uh, there was the expectation as well from the market that I'm gonna stay for a year or so and then either uh, business would ask me to leave or I would leave myself because right. I would fail right uh, so did that how did that make you feel then was was that a driver for you was it kind of a you know what what you know how did it make you feel uh, honestly, a lot of drive. Uh, I think uh, one of my driver is to prove. Uh, and I was so passionate. I was extremely passionate. I wanted to gain the market share. I wanted to um, compete uh, and, and win. Uh, and that's what made me um, happy and excited every day, even it was bloody hard. Yeah. Uh, we were doing a lot of things. I mean, uh, the first thing I found out uh, when I landed, oh, by the way, we didn't tell you, but we need to, um, we need to do some cost efficiency exercise and uh, we actually need to cut the office into two parts uh, and uh, you're going to sit uh, in the half of the office. That's why the first couple of months uh, you need to sit <laughs> in the office full of dust with the uh, construction workers and renovation. People were leaving me every week we were sitting in this gray, dark area. <laughs> I was sitting there and I was like, what's going on? What, what made the office smaller? Yes. Right, okay. So so sold off some of the other offer to someone else and so someone else, another company could go in there. Oh, that's a little bit tough. So what were the priorities first 90 days then? What was it? I mean, you said it wasn't so much clients or candidates. It, it wasn't strategy. It wasn't that kind of restructuring. So it sounds as though to me it was it was it was people. It was the talent side. Was that is that was that the main priority? I would say uh, absolutely. And actually, it was uh, the key priority even for the first uh, eighteen months in, in January. First eighteen uh, months. Okay. Uh, however, um, to kind of uh, make this story even more interesting, uh, in my first three months, uh, my uh, my boss was asked to leave. Uh, that's Who's why that? the person, uh, yes, the person who actually uh, convinced me. Oh, Talika. Oh, Talika, yeah, yeah, Talika left. <laughs> well, how long? So, how long after you joined? I I joined uh, end of July, and she left end of August. Ooh, ouch! So- yeah, I was I was very lucky. You see, uh, that's why for me the first ninety days um, was also about. Uh, building the rapport and building the relationship with uh, my new leaders, obviously, who mm. took over. Mm. Uh, and it was a big exercise because uh, obviously Asia was always kind of uh, separate from Australia and New Zealand, yeah. uh, kind of on their own trajectory. And uh, the person who um, um, became my boss, not for a long period of time, maybe for six months or so, is the a, is a current CEO of the business. Um, right. uh, Mark uh, Mark Stein and um, uh, I'm very grateful for these six months as well with him because he gave me a lot of space uh, uh, breathing space as well he said look I know that the whole circumstances you were brought in and the change with your with yeah. your manager is not ideal I get it um, take your time try to really digest what yeah. I was trying to achieve as a leader and uh, just bounce the ideas with me. And I think uh, that that belief, uh, that uh, kind of uh, good micromanagement approach from his end, and at the same time uh, still being involved, uh, even yeah. I was the only yeah. leader on that level reporting into him. 
But it sounds as though you excelled more with that approach as opposed to someone breathing down your neck anyway, right? You still had the support, but you could you could run you could rock and roll with it. Yeah. Absolutely. Because it's not like you weren't an experienced leader at that stage. So with that so when you're saying eighteen months to get everything sorted, was this is this a matter of training, development? Is this just re looking at how they go about recruiting? Like what you know, what was what were you focusing on within within that talent piece? Um, first of all, uh, getting the right leaders on board. Everything starts from the leadership team. Yeah. And uh, I did invest a lot of time, plus a lot of effort uh, in convincing, because it was hard, to get uh, good people on board. And again, I think I was in a way lucky, um, because um, some people were just looking for a job, and I managed to be just the first who talked to them and convincing them to join uh, Hudson at the time. Some of them were keen for pure professional challenge. And again, I managed to be there and convincing them to join the business. Um, and from January 2017, when I already uh, had uh, my only that time, I think, four leaders uh, as the as initial leadership team, um, I started to build the, um, uh, the leadership mindset as a, as a collective mindset together with them which was hard because obviously all of them were from different companies mm-hmm. with a different um, DNA, different values. And we tried to create uh, our leadership DNA, our leadership um, um, kind of values, uh, which will drive us uh, moving forward. And obviously, uh, which finally uh, became our um, core uh, platform for building the team culture uh, for the entire office. And we all know that culture is the key. Culture can eat your strategy for breakfast and all these nice words. And when people ask me what you managed to do, how you managed to succeed back to Hudson, I always say, honestly, I just found the right people. I brought them together. I helped them to identify the culture they believe in. Mm-hmm. And I helped them to cascade this culture down. That's mm-hmm. all. Honestly, my work was done. I'm not talking done. about, of course, the client's involvement and this and that, but that was the key. Yeah. Getting that down. Yeah, I like that. And so what had you wish you'd done a little bit differently? If you could go back in time to Michael Page or Hudson, would you have done anything differently? Talent Talk Asia is brought to you in partnership with Vincere, the all-in-one CRM for ambitious recruitment businesses. Visit vincere.io forward slash Talent Talk Asia for an exclusive offer for all listeners of this podcast. Hmm. In page, maybe um, I would move for, I would not move to West Coast. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think that's quite your personality to be doing that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Maybe New York would have been a little yes. bit more you. Yes. Even they would tell me or tell me some stories now, I would say no. Um, <laughs> Maybe back to Paige. Uh, back to Hudson. It's a very good question, honestly, because it's still very fresh, right, in my memory. Yeah. yeah. And I'm still like, in a very good relationship uh, with management back to Australia and with people uh, here in Singapore. Um, What I would do differently? You know, um, maybe from the business perspective, um, I would stop scaling a little bit earlier. 
You'd stop what, sorry? Scaling the headcount. Right. I think we, we were too aggressive. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, yeah, at the end of the day, when you look back, you think, okay, I started, it was 12 people more or less. Yeah. And I left, it was 50 people. Wow, amazing. Um, four oh. times uh, headcount growth. However, if we would stop and uh, the good kind of number of people for me, for that size of the business, would be around 35-ish. Yeah, that's exactly what I would say. Yeah, it becomes a different culture than a culture after 35. Mm. And with 35, you can properly drive productivity. Yeah, and quality as well. I think you get to that 50, yeah, you gotta, you got to really have quite strong leaders, I think, within there. Yeah, that's an interesting that's why, one. That's why, looking back, I would say, uh, as uh, Singapore and Hong Kong was, uh, uh, was together with China, and uh, China was on a huge trajectory for scaling headcount. Mm. They were like hiring and hiring really? and hiring. And we were kind of going together with them. Okay, continue. Uh, yeah, different though, different board. market, isn't it? But we are not China yet here. Yeah. And I think I should uh, stop. Um, if we would stop maybe beginning of 2019, not because um, we stopped around August. But it was not enough already uh, in terms of the productivity, and the market started to change as well. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm sure. Uh, I'm sure Neil's got his work cut out for him. I'm sure he'll uh, he'll rock and roll with it. So, so bring me a little bit more up to date. In January 2020, you moved to S3, which I don't know too much about S3, so I'm keen to know a little bit a little bit more about them. Um, you know, what was the reasons for joining? You know, what your motivations? Talk me through your role there. Really, really keen to hear a little bit more about how you how you spend your day. Yeah, sure. It was it was one of the uh, hardest uh, career decisions for me, honestly, uh, because I mean, uh, everything what I left back to Hudson. Uh, Almost everyone back there uh, was hired by me, trained by me, developed by me. Uh, and of course, uh, I, I did consider that as my own baby in a way. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's why professionally and personally, it, it was very hard. Yeah. However, saying that, um, I think uh, what still kind of pushed me to accept uh, that professional challenge was um i'm a good sprinter you know if i if i if i would ever um be on olympics i would be very good uh, for your 100 meters but i would never be good for your marathon that's just not okay. me as a personality uh and i think i've done well coming turning business around like putting the right things uh and then you need to maintain uh and then it, it you get a little bit bored yes you like more way. of a troubleshooting, turn stuff around, but when it all looks good, you, it's time to move on to another role or be challenged somewhere else. Yeah. But it doesn't always way, mean different company though, does it? If a company was able to show you different things and that absolutely, yeah, doesn't absolutely. Move, yeah. And that was and that was the goal, honestly, back to Hudson, because uh we plan to uh launch uh because um, uh, we only had that time, I'm not sure about now, but that time we only had permanent business uh in Hudson. And we plan to launch uh, contracts, and right. uh, that, w- that would be a challenge. Yeah. Uh, plus, we were also talking uh, maybe about Southeast Asia. That would be also a challenge, and yeah. that would kind of um, keep me busy. 
but um, uh, it, it was kind of prolonging in a way. Uh, do we do it this year or we do it next year, this year or that year, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, okay, you know what? I'm still young. I'm still passionate. I still have energy. And um, uh, why not? Why not to take up another challenge, turn something around and, um, and yeah, then move on further in my career. And uh, that's how S3 um, appeared. A um, couple of words about S3. Uh, I mean, obviously, publicly listed, uh, UK-based um, right. uh, multi-brand uh, business. Uh, or I believe a lot of your listeners, uh, they never heard of S3, but they heard Huxley, Real yeah, Stuffy, Aggressive, uh, that yeah. kind of thing. Because it's a, um, that's their, that's the kind of branding strategy uh, the business has on a global level. Um, it's uh, purely niche specialized within the uh, STEM professionals uh, field uh, on a global level. And um, and uh, for me, uh, it was two markets, Hong Kong and Singapore. Right. It was uh, two business lines, permanent business and contracts. And uh, two brands, Real Staffing and Huxley. Um, uh, Sorry, we say the names again. Say, say I heard Huxley. I didn't hear the other the Huxley? other Huxley. Yeah, what's the other one? Real Staffing. Right. Real Staffing is your pharmaceutical and medical device. Got it. Huxley. But who's the who's the, bo- who's the boss though? Who's the guy that runs it? Who owns it? Uh, uh, at the moment, it's actually uh, um, uh, the manager is Manjit Kaur. Uh, it's the lady. She's been in the business for eight-ish uh, years. Right. Um, uh, the previous uh, manager was Marco Holleran. He's still in the business, but he's managing our Huxley business. Right. Uh, and um, we are planning, by the way, just a little bit of heads up. Uh, we are planning to relaunch uh Computer Futures uh, next year. Oh, my friend used to work yeah. for Computer Futures in London. God, it goes back yes. to Computer Futures. Yes. So is that uh, contract then or is that perm? Both. That's both. And that's here. You're going to launch that here? Here in uh, in Singapore, for Singapore and Hong Kong. So why, so why does it have different brands? Why can't it all just be under the same company? Not to confuse anyone. Why, why is that? Honestly, uh, um, I had the same question to them. <laughs> Um, when we had an initial conversation, but I believe uh, back to um, 1986 uh, when uh, the company just uh, started, it was only about computer features, right? Um, and uh, then they wanted to kind of um, expose more into the STEM market, and uh, it was progressive uh, for your engineers for oil and gas, right? And uh, computer futures and uh, oil and gas kind of doesn't match. No. And I think they were growing cool. organically. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But uh, 18 months ago, the new CEO came on board and uh, Mark Dorman. And um, in a way, his goal was to unite uh, everything still under S3 umbrella, uh, which he's working as a part of the strategy. Um, and all of us, uh, no matter which brand you represent, I mean, I'm covering all of them here, but let's say for my folks um, who work for Huxley or who, who work for real stuffing, they all know that their purpose is to bring uh, skilled people together um, to build the future because of the STEM uh, skill set initially. Okay. And uh, yeah, I mean, for me, it was also because you ask about 
what was there for me. Mm. For me, it was also opening um, the countries in Southeast Asia. I know you were managing amazing markets um, in Southeast Asia. Yeah, any excuse to go to Vietnam or Malaysia, great. <laughs> so anyways, I took it. Get yeah, to do a trip that, that there was, every few days. Brilliant. That, that was the goal. We, we, we planned to open Thailand and Vietnam. Awesome. awesome. Uh, obviously, we, we had to put things on hold for a while, uh, yeah. but that was also the reason why I signed up for this challenge. Well, that'll be a great opportunity. And I think they're really, I mean, they're still pretty untapped markets, right? There's a few players there, but it's, that's interesting. I like, I like the idea of that. So, so you, so you've been there since January, 2020. I want to move on to, I know we're sort of an hour in, I knew we'd end up talking for ages because I think that's just, you know, we're passionate about, um, about the recruitment and the development side. I want to, I want to talk about development of talent. So, when you're looking at a team that you're managing, you know, and, and what advice do you give to leaders that are underneath yourself? How do you go about keeping a team motivated? Because we all know in recruitment, it's, you know, it's the same job, same process every day, every week, every month, different candidates, different clients, it's the same all the time. So how are you keeping that motivation going? You know, first of all, Andrea, I would disagree with you. Okay. Because I believe Go for that. it. I'm happy for you to disagree <laughs> with me, Alina. I believe that uh, uh, that's uh, least boring industry ever. And the reason mm-hmm. being, uh, I believe, uh, so first of all, we are being paid for talking to people. And I, and I think it's amazing. Uh, yeah. Second, even we do uh, the same thing in a way every day. We call, we talk, we sell. Um, however, um, market, the industry, the company we work for, gives us opportunity to talk to such a different people out there. Yeah. And uh, if you are hungry, if you're um, keen for new knowledge, if curious. you are uh, yeah. like curious, mm. yeah, eager mm. to learn, you can constantly learn from these people, yeah. whatever it's your candidates or clients. And again, which other industry would give you that chance? And mm. on top of that, actually pay you for that. Um, yeah, and manage your own diary as well. You're not necessarily <laughs> so restricted by... You know what, how, how you go about doing it. Mm. Yeah, another one. I think it's a roller coaster, and I love that about our industry because today you're um, today you you rock, you're amazing, you make a lot of money, but day after tomorrow you're so down and you need to climb over all over again. And I think uh, it is the industry for really strong individuals. Um, and uh, of course, you need to motivate your leaders. Uh, however, I think it's also the industry for self motivators. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. And good point. Good point. Yeah, yeah. That's why uh, taking like directly um, to to the question you just asked, how do I motivate my guys? Um, uh, I think first of all, I need to believe that uh, they are passionate about this industry. Okay. If they don't feel that they are passionate about this industry, I would have a hand on heart conversation. I would help them. Um, I don't know, finding the new job, uh, building their career in some other industry or whatever it is. Um, but I need people who really, really love what we are doing. And I'm inspired to uh, make change. Okay. okay. In, in a way, I need to see that spark in the eyes, you know? Uh, I'm happy. Sometimes, obviously, I mean, I can be down, right? I mean, all of us can be down. And it's just the most important for me as a leader, you need to catch that on time or better yeah. catch it in advance. Yep. Yeah. Good point. And then you can also address and help. And um, I always say to my people, you know, when they are getting bored, 
uh, I always say them, you know what, what's going to help you go and talk to competitors and then come back and we're going to discuss that. Mm. And I think uh, as soon as people uh, actually feel that they can be, again, so honest, so open with you, mm. then um, uh, when they know that you challenge them at the end of the day, trying to help them uh, yeah. in terms of their career development. Yeah. And it's like, again, it's like a very, uh-huh. very uh, old times. You know, I remember when I joined recruitment, it was, okay, what's the financial goal you have? You want to buy an apartment? Okay, let's work towards buying the apartment. Right? Yeah. It was crystal clear how yeah. and what. Right now, maybe it's a little bit different. I mean, uh, the people who work for us, they're different. The key drivers are different. And you always need to remember that um, uh, you work together towards the, these drivers to be achieved. That would be kind of my answer. I love the answer. So how do you how do you go about sort of balancing that productivity piece, particularly now, but also to be creating those strong relationships, you know, having fun with the people that you work with? Because, you know, recruitment is is very much that culture where we can get really close to the people that we work for. There's It's not so too hierarchical and restricted. So how do you go about balancing those those two, you know, having fun and, and also driving productivity? I call it tough love. Yeah, sounds very Russian, doesn't it? <laughs> and my people, they kind of use that name towards me. Um, look, I am, I'm a perfectionist, okay? Um, uh, I'm very demanding to myself and I'm very demanding to my people. And people know that. And I'm very, again, open about that from the very beginning. Uh, I think uh, it's, it's very important to, um, to kind of explain properly your non-negotiables. Uh, and uh, mm. also to stay true to your non-negotiables with your own behavior. Mm-hmm. Because the last thing as a leader you can afford doing is actually, I don't know, saying uh, I'm all about punctuality, but every day being late, late. Yeah. Uh, or whatever. Yeah. Um, yeah. Also. Um, Just hypocritical. So it's walking the talk then. Yeah. You're, you're saying it's in a way, in talk. a way. Yeah. yeah. Everything you, uh, you, you kind of uh, ask from your people, uh, you do. Um, also about, uh, and that's why your demands are coming uh, to your productivity piece, right? Because at the end of the day, every business needs to be productive and every business needs to uh, generate uh, uh, good profit. Uh, that's just the goal for any sales organization. Um, I think the role, uh, my role as a leader and then role of my leaders uh, with their consultants, first of all, is to attract the right talents. And again, I know it's uh, easy to save than to do. We all know how it's hard. Yeah. But um, it's very important uh, to me, me minimize any mistakes uh, in the initial stage when you actually hire people. When you already hired people, I think it's very important um, how you um, go with your onboarding. I think, again, a yeah. lot of companies are saying that we have the best onboarding. We have all these uh, L&D uh, initiatives, um, I don't know, uh, recruitment campus, et cetera, et cetera. But I think uh, it should be a, a synergy between everything which is developed by your learning and development team but as well as your on-the-job training with your manager. And manager uh, should really understand that this first 90 days of any new rookie in the business is 
is extremely, extremely crucial for yeah, the success. Yeah, make or break. Yeah. No. And, and would you say then that that whole developing piece, because obviously you've developed a number of people over the years, do you put a lot of emphasis on that, you know, when people come in, that it is that on-the-job training, is making sure you get it right, or is there any other kind of secret recipe that, that you want to add to that when it comes to developing talent? I think it's uh, really important to uh, know the... Um, uh, psychometric uh, profile of mm -hmm. the individual because yeah. if you know the strengths and the area for development uh, initially that's actually absolutely amazing tool for yeah. you as a leader yeah. uh, to uh, to work together with your team member to help for the future development because as soon as you know that that I don't know three major things which are so important for your company uh, requires the development and you put the, the right action plan towards uh, that you, you you know the milestones you are trying to achieve, you always look back, you follow up on that, you're helping the individuals to develop the particular competencies. I think you're right. I think sometimes, I, th I, I know from my own personal experiences, it was only until a long time into managing that we got exposed to the DISC model. I mean, it's, it's still an okay model to use. It It does its job for certain areas but it was just a mind-blowing for me because I had sort of 11 managers and sort of every one of them was different and you sort of you kind of you know adapted your style a little bit but you, it was only until really getting exposed to kind of those diagnostics where you can say ah now I know now I know that I need to look at that in a different way or communicate that in a different way they're looking through it a completely different lens and I think it's so important and I'm not plugging any assessment tools. I make I don't make any money out of assessment tools, but I think it's so important to understand there's some really great ones out there that that don't even cost hardly anything, but you just get this, you get an idea exactly what those strengths are, development areas or stresses, motivators, all of that. You can't always get that from people don't can't articulate a lot of what they're really great at. Um only some you know, some talents are not necessarily seen or they don't use a lot of them, right? So absolutely spot on what you're saying just now. It's absolutely spot on. And I, I, I first of all, think that not leader, not a lot of leaders in our industry actually understand the importance of that. And yeah. they ignore that. That's yeah. one. Um, uh, those uh, who understand, uh, I, I think they're, they're, they're doing absolutely right things because it does help their business to evolve and actually grow. Mm. Again, uh, it's good that uh, being a sales or uh, a sales leader, uh, you're kind of very intuitive. You 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 um, you you trust your your gut feel, and you know, um, uh, okay, I kind of know what my uh, what my team wants, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, or what they need. You think, yeah, but yeah, right. You're never going to know. You're never going to get to that level of detail. You're never going to get to that level of detail. I, I do loads of coaching on the strengths, strengths gallop. Oh my God, it blows my mind every time I coach someone because you can understand someone within hours versus months of trying to coach someone through without any diagnostic tool. You really do need to have an idea. And, and I think everyone loves to know what makes them tick. They really want to know that they're interested in that. So if you can spend the time as a leader to to invest in in those kind of tools, it really I, I'm I'm a I'm a massive one on that development side. Now the question I want to ask you is when when you're faced with two equally qualified consultants to hire in your business, how do you determine which one to hire and why? I'm keen to know when you're talking about values before, what is it that you look for in in someone to to hire in your business right now for S3? Uh, first of all, curious. 
person needs Curious. to be mm-hmm. Second, um, I'm looking uh, for integrity. Mm-hmm. Um, I know it's hard to assess again. I, when know, you I was just going to ask you. Yeah, that's a tricky one. Yeah, <laughs> very tricky. But um, yeah. but for me, it's really really important. Uh, um, then um, I like people with a story. You know, mm-hmm. um, uh, I remember once I hired a professional poker player. Did you? Yes. But oh, because I had a wow. story. Well, sorry, where was this? Is this in, is this in Russia? Uh, no, it's not. Uh, I would keep it otherwise. Who knows? Maybe oh, right. Right. Okay. That's awesome. So, okay. Bit of a gambler then. Um, <laughs> how, how good were they? Uh, amazing. Actually, the, the guy is very successful, still making good money. Um, um, but yeah, I mean, that's, uh, that's, what, that's what I call story because... People uh, who I believe actually succeed, they know what, how to achieve something uh, when it's not easy. And I'm yeah. not saying, you know, a lot of my, again, a lot of my counterparts or um, my competitors, colleagues from the market, they would say, I need people from the families who are struggling because they need to uh, really kind of fight for money. Uh, I'm not kind of big believer on that because for me uh you can be from a very well-being family mm-hmm. but if you're curious and if you have a story yeah you, and self-sufficient you want- they don't they want to use the parents money yeah i think you it's a mixture i think dad, i, right? I, I, I still think in recruitment there's so much bias though when it does come to interviewing i'm, I'm so i was certainly guilty of it myself i think you do still tend to sort of interview people that may well be quite like yourself or whether that be the same school or, or background or just sense of humor or whatever that common ground is. I think it's definitely, I think it's nice. I think it's great when interviewing comprises of a number of key leaders all looking at different things, because then that really does minimize any bias going on. Um, but, I, but I still think there's a, there can be a tendency to kind of do it, but I, I, I'm like yourself. I, I love a good story, which hence podcast. So is there one particular trait or behavior that you've seen that can really derail leaders? You know, because we obviously have quite a few leaders that listen to the show. So, you know, what do you see as kind of a, a massive one that stands out for you? I think I, I, I'm going to sound by the book right now. Uh, but I think if there is no trust uh, among leaders, mm. you would never build the, uh, the successful uh, team. Never. Yeah. Yeah. Trust is a huge one, right? There's so many, there's so many components of trust because that feeds into your integrity, right? But even curiosity is a lot to do with trust. Is is you know when you're trying to get to know someone else in their business, it's that's building relationship. It's 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 still it all still fits within that kind of trust um, umbrella in a way. Um, you know what can we're obviously at a point now where recruiters are you know going through quite a few tough times. You know, what can recruiters at any level do to develop their existing skills right now and acquire new ones to, to really remain competitive and, and get through the next few months? Because we know it's going to be a, a tough, tough few months. Very good question, Andrea. I think um, it's very important that we kind of uh, really help and educate, right, um, consultants out there together. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, first of all, recruiters really need to develop their agility. Because I still think um, that's what they're lacking. Uh, I think a lot of them want to do things the way they, they used to do them before. And they are not 
open-minded enough to accept that the the circumstances on the market is different all right okay. and uh, the way they work towards achieving the success now versus let's say the same time last year is completely completely mm-hmm, different mm-hmm. as well that's one that's why agility uh is very very important the second one uh for me i believe um now even more than again maybe six months ago people need to work harder and i'm not talking about the hours they invest into their um uh, on their daily basis mm. i'm talking about the initial effort they put to get the same outcome yeah yeah at the moment um it mm. just requires them more uh even i know that uh, again maybe the last uh, five years or so we were trying to explain um as big players KPIs are not important and be smart in, in, in everything you do. And that values are still there. However, if they want to succeed during this maybe challenging nine months or so, um, uh, they, they need to work harder. That's the reality. They need to put more effort. And this is working harder with clients, with candidates, with everything, with what, you know, anything specifically, you know. So I can have someone I listening say, to that that doesn't doesn't give them enough work harder. But what does that mean? Um, first of all, um, in terms of the uh, let's say, I mean, very important part of everyone, uh, um, uh, like every consultant work is the client development, right? Business development, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. gaining clients. I think our uh, first of all, our consultants nowadays they need to be even more attentive towards the key customers they have. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They really need to spend their time, uh, understand everything, uh, what they're struggling with. Even they don't have the job right now for you, and maybe they are not even planning to hire anyone. Uh, But you need to be next to them because you need to be on their radar, whatever, two months down the road for, for them to call you. Yeah. Don't um uh don't allow yourself to lose your key customers. That's one. Yeah. The second one would be when you try to gain the new customers out there, don't be transactional. Because before, again, market uh, gave you opportunity, open any job board, uh, looked at all the ad chases and just randomly call the clients and try to get the job. Uh and uh, that worked out well. People were still making money out of that, right? However, uh, nowadays, uh, I think they really need to spend time on analyzing the market properly and actually properly mapping out Mm -hmm. uh, for the major competitors, for this particular client, what are the niche skill sets they are (laughs) demanding uh, and why they are demanding this niche Mm -hmm. skill set. What kind of solution I can bring them as a consultant and what kind of exclusive talent pools of these passive candidates I'm building day in and day out for you. Uh, Even you are not hiring today, I'm going to be here tomorrow to help you. But that's exactly what the clients want, right? Because I've reached out to a few HR people recently because of an upcoming business development webinar and asking them, what do you want to hear from recruiters on? What is it? What do you need from them? What do you what do you want to hear from them? What don't you want to hear from them? And it was exactly on those lines. That's really interesting. Now, I we are gonna we're gonna move on to um, a really quick two or three minute quick fire round. Okay, 
Um, okay. This quick quick five rounds means you've got to answer quickly. Okay. Don't don't, don't be giving me five minute answers on this. Right. It's it's a quick it's a quick one. Okay. So what was the last podcast or book that you listened or read that you'd recommend to the listeners? Huh. Hard one. Um, look, the last. Hopefully not, not the in last, Russian. Maybe, <laughs> Sorry. No. The one I'm. Let me do following. The one I'm reading now. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I'm still in the process. Uh, the name is uh, A World of Three Zeros. A World of Three uh, Zeros. Yes. Uh, it's by Muhammad Yunus. Uh, it's a um, Bangladesh citizen. Uh, yeah. Very famous. He is actually a Nobel Prize. Uh, he uh, opened the um, the first uh, microcredit bank uh, back to Bangladesh oh, okay. to, to help the um, uh, really poor generation and to provide uh, women uh, chances to earn money, actually to open their own business. Awesome. Cetera, that sounds like a great one to read. And that, that, I, I think you got away with quick fire round on that particular question. How often do you look at your phone every day? Oh, my gosh. Uh, or how often did you look at it during the podcast? That oh. gives an indication. Once. None. Oh, okay, okay. That, no, none, none. Oh, You're none. The, oh, the finger up was not a, okay, that was a none. Oh, well done. Okay. Um, describe your life in one word. Hunger. Okay. What are, what are you still focusing on in your career? Markets. Regional presence. Okay. I like it. Thank you for your time, for being a guest on the show, Alina. It's been awesome. Um, if you'd like to get in contact with Alina from S3, then please check out the notes on this episode. But from an email perspective, it's a.salakova. Did I pronounce that surname right? Brilliant. That's At correct. s3.com. Now, if you've enjoyed the podcast, then don't be stingy. Share it with a friend and change someone's perspective today. If you're interested to um, share your story um, and like to be a guest on the show, then please reach out to me. Um, and I just want to say thank you, Aline. It was an awesome session. I really enjoyed it. Um, it is about an hour and 20. So uh, everyone, please enjoy. Settle in. Go, on a go for a run and listen to the podcast. It's a great way to, to get healthy and also learn something at the same time. So thank you very much for your time. Thanks, Andrea. It was a pure pleasure. Bye. You have been listening to Talent Talk Asia podcast by The Career Establishment. To learn more about The Career Establishment, our people and our latest thinking, visit us at www.thecareerestablishment.com or find us on LinkedIn, Twitter and Facebook.